Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I am talking to Bex McCutcheon. We're talking about finding your voice, both in terms of your writing and also in terms of speaking about your work. We talk about the evolutionary process of the PhD journey itself and we also talk about the importance of treating questions with delight. So I do hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Emma. So we know each other. We have to confess that right at the beginning. <laughs> um, and we have um, we've worked together. Um, we were we were just about to start co-supervising somebody. Um, and I just I love the work. I love the way that you are. I love you as a person. <laughs> I'm so pleased that you said. <laughs> Yes, to come to come and talk to people because I I I know they're going to get a lot out of it. So thank you for coming. Oh my gosh, no, thank you. It's uh, it's I, I'm re- it's really been really lovely just to think about that journey again for myself. Um, so yeah, and anything I do can do to help other people on it because it's a it's a big old ride, isn't it? But see, that's what I love about you. Anything I can do to help other people, that is that is you in a nutshell. I love it. Thank you. Um, so we are going to talk about finding your voice in a minute. Um, but first of all, I always ask people about their own journey. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey into the PhD, through the PhD, out the other side? Yes, yeah, yeah. So um, so I um so I think of myself as a really unlikely PhD candidate, if I'm really honest. Um, and I know imposter syndrome is something um, a, mm. lot of, a lot of people are thinking about a lot at the moment. But um, but for me, you know, if you'd gone back sort of 15 years to when I finished my MA, I, I probably would be quite unlikely to go on a PhD journey. And I think that's because I didn't, I felt very vocational about um, what I was doing. I was working as a theatre director. That to me, I, I felt like the academy was quite distant mm-hmm. from the industry. And for me, it, for me, it was all about the industry and, and making art within the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the point at which I started thinking about a PhD was uh, the work that I was making. I was making a lot of site-specific work and I was really interested in lost plays. And in particular, I got I did two versions of a play by Christopher Marlowe called Dido, Queen of Carthage. And this is a really interesting play. It's a play that when I started working with uh, on it with my company, Angels in the Architecture, it literally hadn't been staged. So it was this kind of um, orphan play by Christopher Marlowe, of course, brilliant brilliant author playwright um but it had never been performed um i did two versions of it um with my company one of them was in a women's refuge in soho so this really very particular really interesting very international space um in you know very particular area of london lots of vibrant city life that 
kind of informed a lot of what we were doing. And then the other version, we went on to do in Kensington Palace, which is, you know, it's the other end of London. It's very affluent. It's got all of these kind of um, these histories around monarchy and women. Um, mm. And it's a very, very different um, atmosphere and sense of place and rules of place that you get there. And what was fascinating to me was that the the the, the difference in those two spaces um, created such a profound set of changes in my relationship to the text, in the way in which the text interacted with its audience. I mean, it went through every single decision that we made in design and performance. Um, and I just came away with this really interesting experience of um, and really ex interesting example and case study of what is the relationship um, between sight and um, and the the theatre. If you are going to be working with the text in a mm. subtle way, um, so that so yeah, I got to a point in my career where I felt like I wanted more time and space to be exploring these ideas. And I got talking to an old friend of mine who's also an academic. Um, um, he said, "Look, things are changing a lot in the academy now. This is sort of going back to uh, two thousand seven or eight and there's there are these things called practice-based PhDs and I think you'd be a really good really interesting person to do it because you mm. have you have a real research head you have these interests but you're in industry as well and that to me suddenly a lot of things fit together and it felt like you know what I if there is this coming together of the academy and scholarship and industry that's happening and if the you know our ways of thinking and writing and working and and theorizing our work are changing then I think that's a really interesting space to be in so um yeah that's when I started my journey and then do you, do, do you want a little overview of the PhD yeah course? how was it for you <laughs> yeah so um so I um I, I would so I, I started off on this this I created a PhD proposal then around this idea of lost texts and spaces. I was very fortunate to get funded to do that by Royal Holloway in the then AHRC, which helped enormously and mm. um and and I'll be kind of forever forever grateful for that. Um and I started along my journey. Um, and immediately kind of had quite a shock to the system, I would say, because I'd been, I think, nearly 15 years outside of of the kind of academic institution. And I, I felt like my research skills were nowhere near where they needed to be. I felt I would say I probably felt quite lost at the start. And there was lots of resources that that and, and networks that. Royal Holloway were kind of linking me into ways of working um, seminars um, and also my supervisor Libby was really wonderful at giving a lot of reassurance around that you know that whole kind of transition um, from industry into the PhD but it is difficult and it's challenging and I think it's really important if I could go back and say anything to myself then it would be to probably be a bit kinder to myself mm. I think I found I was very anxious and I pushed myself very, very hard. Um, and it's it's just worth recognising, I think, when you're on a PhD, that it, that it's okay to feel uncertainty. You know, the, the way you are in terms of your knowledge and the, the knowledge that's being created is going to be on, in, in new territories. You know, it wouldn't mm -hmm. be a valid 
PhD, if you weren't making new discoveries, um, and you know, and that's new for you, extending your knowledge, but you're extending knowledge anyway. So, so there's there's a real need to develop a lot of resilience around that, and um, and I think you know, podcasts like yours and the kind of resources that you're creating are so valuable, um, just in terms of just developing that that kindness and understanding towards yourself. Um, I then also um, started my family. So I, I was pregnant during my first year. And, I, and actually, by kind of various accidents, I ended up having two um, years of maternity leaves during the process of my PhD. Um, and this is it. This is how, you know, you know, there there is a kind of ideal PhD, isn't there, where you, where you can kind of um, be almost a bit, uh, you know, it can be the, uh, maybe the main focus of your life and you get to make it the heart of your life. And, and that's brilliant. I had kind of people alongside me who, who were able to do their PhD that way. And I, I can remember looking at them quite enviously in seminars, you know, thinking, oh, my God, you've, you've actually been able to read the entire reading list. And, and, and that, you know, with a young family, that's never going to be the case, I think. And, and so I kind of, again, this same friend of mine said, well, you know, you're going to have one of those pragmatic PhDs where, you know, you will do your best and you, but, but you know, you've got a lot of other things in your life and you just... Mm have to just be really kind of again kind to yourself around that and and prioritize the the things that absolutely have to be done um and yeah so it it can be done alongside a young family um it's really challenging um it's you know it'll stretch you in lots of different ways um i think uh i think in a in a really positive way i liked the fact i think that I had something alongside the, the young family. I think for me, the idea of being, you know, um, a, a parent at that point in my life, I was really anxious about losing all of the ground I developed as a theatre director. And so the PhD for me was a really important way of staying very tangibly connected with that um, mm. and continuing to develop myself um, through that whole period. Um, but it was one hell of a juggle. <laughs> and I, I would say kind of planning um organization um and support you know the support kind of of my family and of um my supervisor and of my department were really important in kind of um in in you know I know I know a PhD in a way the, the model of it as a lone journey I think it isn't really accurate because there's no way you can complete a PhD completely on your own you know there's there's so many other kind of links in the chain of of being able to kind of sustain yourself um and the more you can do to connect yourself formally and informally to to other networks the better I would say because because it can feel it can feel isolating at times you know it's it's your project it's your baby um and there were there are times when you need someone else to to you know talk through the the granular detail of of everything you're going through with um absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> i always say to people you know yeah you're the ceo of your phd but who's on your team who's around the board table with you because you, you you no one can do it on their own um and i love the sound of your friends what a brilliant team member that was <laughs> they sound great um really sensible advice 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I I also think also to pick up on what you were saying about having your family, having your life outside the PhD, because actually that can be so useful. It's grounding, it's real life. You don't have to put your life on hold to do a PhD. Um, That's really helpful for people to hear. It is possible. It's doable. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a very full, very full, full programme, but it is completely. And yeah, it's when I think of the the way in which my life changed through that whole process, it felt really kind of explosive in every Mm. kind of direction, you know, Mm. (laughs) in a really good way. Amazing. And I know part of your journey, because we were talking about what of what um, to focus on today and this sense of finding your voice um, within that PhD journey and in two in two ways, sort of finding your voice in terms of speaking publicly about your work um, and finding your voice in terms of finding that academic way of phrasing, finding your academic voice. Um, so which one would you like to take first? Oh, so probably finding the academic voice first because right. I didn't get into public speaking right from the start. You know, so chronologically, I, I think, um, I think, um, I mean, for on both of those sides, I think it's it, looking back, it's really interesting because having gone from being in a career where I was working as a director and, and kind of, you know, kind of... I felt kind of very kind of clear in my identity mm. with that. Um, mm. Moving into a PhD, um, it's a transition. It's an identity transition. And, and you're, you're needing to kind of rediscover yourself, I think, in all kinds of ways. And mm. I remember very early on going to so many, um, going to loads of ways of working seminars. You know, there's fantastic seminars where you're working with people from all kinds of dis- different disciplines and really opening up your thinking to 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 really diverse kind of range of research methods. I can remember the feeling of um, almost like my brain is a muscle. You know, I could feel, I, I, I could, I'm, I'd be on the train going home feeling like my synapses were rearranging themselves. <laughs> like something is happening there um and so yeah I think for me the owning my own sense of myself as an academic writer took a real took me probably the best part of the first year so I can remember writing quite a lot for Libby around you know I was doing a lot of really fantastic reading I was really enjoying you know all of the work that I was looking at and seeing um I was you know writing performance analyses um and I felt that I was doing okay but I I just I felt like I think I kind of plateaued quite a lot in that first year you know I, I kind of got to the point where it's I just feel like I'm still writing like an MA I'm I'm still you know I'm I'm managing really well to to extend and research and synthesize the ideas but but I I don't have a sense of my own distinct voice here mm. yet mm. Uh, and that found that I found that quite paradoxical because as a director I I definitely had a very distinct kind of way of working mm. and, and I'd be able to show you something of mine and, and tell you what it, what about that is specific to me um but but I just 
hadn't made that step up in terms of my writing um, into something that was not just a synthesis of ideas, but but me kind of playing with and exploring and though both those ideas, but also in terms of the, the manner in which I was writing about them. And I think a, a kind of breakthrough for me came um, from Libby, again, my wonderful supervisor. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she advised me when, you know, I was kind of having this kind of, you know, how do I, I found myself getting into this really formal way of writing, you know, it was very stuffy and a bit pompous, you know, I kind of annoyed myself when I, (laughs) well, I don't want to read this. And um, she said, well, look, just look at something you love, you know, who's the, who's a, find a a writer whose work you love and just explore what it would be like to write as if you were them. Mm. And I really, and Mm. and I thought, well, I can't just copy someone else. Mm. Um, But the really important thing that it made me do was, was it just, allows you to try on someone else's style you know yes. we get very yes. caught up in our own styles and it's very um all of our particular tics and, and mannerisms are very uh tacit aren't they yes. and when you try on a different way of writing um suddenly you just start to open things up so for me it was a brilliant um write it from dance practice actually so um she she writes in um in dance site specific practice i'm trying to remember her name i will try and find the name and the article for you but the the actually the article itself is called the library dances and it's this beautiful piece of site specific dance but the way in which she wrote about her process for me that i found revelatory was that it was really personal so mm. doing that fantastic thing that, that i think the best practice writing does which is um to take those really personal insights um not in a simply descriptive way i did this i did that but but taking those the the kind of the most um kind of intimate insights from your practice you know what is shifting here what is changing here why is this important and contextualizing that that really rigorously within uh, your your research within those other pr- practitioners that you're thinking about, those other ideas that you're thinking about, but holding on to this really core thread of your work and your practice. So really, actually, in terms of written style, it was about stripping away for me. It was about trusting that my voice and my experience had something to contribute. I didn't need lots of fancy words. I didn't need to be super pompous. I just needed to write well and clearly about what I was, what insights I was, I was getting out of the practice that I was making. So that felt really important, you know, that finding your voice, it's, it's maybe exposing rather than finding a mask. It's about trusting to be really present quite authentically mm, such a beautiful way in which you describe that and I, I, th- I am sure that lots of people will be able to relate to that and this journey through which because it, you're in a very different place than somebody sets you up an essay question and you respond to it of course you're setting up your own questions you're responding to your own thinking and you're finding your own way of expressing that um, and I just love this idea of, of trying things on and that mm-hmm. that metaphor is really gorgeous. Thank you so much for that. Oh, it's um, such a size. I recommend it to anyone. Yes, yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> so then the other bit we were talking about in terms of finding your voice was speaking about your work publicly, which I know is a real, really anxiety provoking for a lot of people. Um, yes. So yeah. can you tell us a bit about your experience and also your thoughts as a as a theatre director um, mm. in terms of people finding that position yeah. from which to speak yeah yeah it's so and again it's kind of paradoxical but then maybe not so much that I wasn't I mean I did used to perform back in the day um but it was never my favorite thing you know? mm. <laughs> so I'm not someone who really comfortably takes center stage um I and I think again maybe because you know, there's this sense of, um, you know, when, when you're on the PhD journey, you're trying, you don't always, you know, you're not always speaking from the, the position of the end of your journey, you're on your journey, and you might be speaking in public, sharing something that's, you know, it's not at its conclusion, it, it's at a certain stage. And so you, so how do, yeah, how do you speak with authority on that? Um but still kind of tolerate the sense that there's some uncertainty within which, you know, within whatever it is you're trying to present. And I think for me, I, you know, I think it's unquestionably a really good idea to, to just challenge yourself to do really as much public speaking as you get the opportunity to, you know, so, so there can be lots of lovely kind of not, not too pressured, you know, in our department, we have kind of research afternoons where you just share your ideas with one another. Um, there are kind of postgraduate um, platforms like the one at TAPRA within, um, uh, within theatre, but, but, you know, where there's opportunities to kind of um, present not in, you know, in the full glare of a conference, but, um, but I think, particularly if you're aware that you find it quite anxiety-inducing, it's probably really worth trying to do some because it's it's never going to get you're never going to reach a perfect point at which all of your ideas are kind of beautifully sitting in a row and and you know and and here here is my perfect you know. <laughs> my perfect presentation I think you know you're it's always a work in progress and I think the more you're able to share your thinking and share your ideas and gain you know feedback from other people gain different perspectives the, the richer your work will be and the more robust as well so I think this idea then of having that kind of low level um entry point that you kind of you come in and you, you're able to hear yourself speak in a room because that's a big thing. Um, and the, one of the first times I did this as a postgraduate conference and the, the one of the other people was a, a panel and one of the other people on the panel, it was, it was so um, anxious about it all. He, he left the room and he didn't come back in. And so I, on that day, I was like, at least I've still stayed in the room. <laughs> anything I do from here is a bonus um and I think it is literally that that first time you do it it probably is just about staying in the room saying some things and then sitting down again and kind of going I I did it I did it um and as you say then actually what you will find is getting that feedback that gorgeous feedback from people and then then it can become a pleasure but it's it's yeah dipping your toe in the water I love that. And again, 
this is characteristic of you in terms of that gentleness and gracefulness. I love it. <laughs> um, so now I'm not going to be gentle or gracious. And I'm just going to say, do you have a top tip for us out of all of this in terms of finding your voice? Do you have a top tip? Yeah. So so another lovely, lovely colleague who, who I was talking with about exactly this issue, you know, of kind of feeling like an imposter and, you know, feeling like the stakes are so high and how can I, you know, how can I diffuse this for myself? How can I, you know, just really get myself to a place where I can welcome, you know, the, the, the feedback, the, you know, the support. Um, and, and this is Dan Rebellato, who's, who's such a fantastic colleague in the gorgeous. Um, and his, he said, one of the, he what he's observed in in conferences you know all over the world you know all kinds of platforms that he speaks in um that the more the more experienced the more senior you are um the more people seem to just absolutely assume there's this positivity you know and it tends to be kind of the the kind of younger and more experienced you know anxious people who who kind of have this kind of sense of um uh you know that someone's going to you know, pull them over, you know, grill them or or come in with kind of aggressive questions. And and he said, you know, that might happen. But if you watch a really experienced um, speaker, they'll treat every question, any question, as if it's a wonderful, supportive, yes. brilliant question. Yes, yes, yes. I'm so glad you asked me that. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, so even if you do get that kind of nightmare kind of scary question that you were that you thought would be you know you dreaded would come um treat it as if it's a positive opportunity you know treat it as though it's it's about how you receive it and I think that's that's the more serious point that he's making is that that we kind of um if we can get away from casting these these kind of activities of of public speaking in such a, a high pressure way they're really they really really are that they're, they're such a golden opportunity to share you know everything that you're spending your life and your passion on with an audience who will get it you know and yes. and so you know trying to get past you know for me get past that kind of imposter feeling that that you know that is this am I genuinely contributing here and just you know look to to put your ideas out there as gently as you can as clearly as you can and and to to really kind of um view that whatever comes back at you will will help you build your ideas more robustly so that's that i love that (laughs) so gorgeous such words of wisdom um thanks thank thank you so much i know you are super busy um and uh and I, i just really really appreciate you taking time to do this um thank you it's it's a and it's just so lovely to get the chance to to think about this journey and to yeah to to hopefully um help other people on their on their way with it because it is it's it's probably you know it's one of the most challenging things you're going to do in your life you know it really really is um but it's yeah it's it's so worthwhile and I think the really interesting thing I don't know if you agree with this Emma but that I kind of, I think I only realised this a, a, a couple of years after completing my PhD, and and it was kind of, it's not necessarily about the PhD on the shelf. It's about what it's done to you, the journey that it's taken you on, and how it's changed you as a person. Um, that's the real where the PhD really sits. 
Um, and, and absolutely, it's long time to realise that. <laughs> absolutely, here, here to that. Hmm. Thank you so much, Bex, oh, and thank you all for listening. Mm-hmm.